We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Aloha and welcome to the we Layman's Lounge to podcast, a ministry of the laymanslounge.com, where we exist to bring everyday theology for everyday life. Today is our 100th episode. Thank you. And so um, as, as, as many of you know who listen to this, there's a few things I'm a bootlicker about, and one of them is neo-Calvinism, Kuiper, Bob Inc., Creation, Fall, Redemption, Restoration. But I am probably surprising to many of you not, that's not what I'm going to crown this episode with. It's actually going to be what I think is the single most important fact on the earth for the Christian life. Of course, we could qualify that, but you, you get what I'm saying. Um, and that is on the topic of the law and gospel. And of course, so yeah, the resurrection, that all, that all plays. But fundamentally, the thing that I always want to talk about, if I got 30 seconds with someone, you know, I want to share the gospel, the law and the gospel. So um, to do that, we roped in David Zoll from Mockingbird Ministries, who is basically just a cooler version of the Layman's Lounge. And David is co-author uh, co of the book, Law and Gospel, A Theology for Sinners and Saints. Brother, how are you? And are you in New York right now? I'm, uh, I'm great. That's quite a um, wonderful introduction. I, um, I think it's important too this subject. Uh, the, I am in Virginia, actually. I, oh, that's so right. We, we started in New York and we moved to Virginia for a little while ago. But yeah, I'm, uh, I'm surrounded by snow uh, and imagine you're not. No, sir. Do you, uh, what are you listening to these days? Anything good? Any good music? Oh, I'm always listening to good music. I, uh, I just went through a serious prog rock phase, to be honest <laughs> with you, which is something I resisted for a long time. But um, I do a little little side hustle podcast called The Well of Sound, and we talk about band, various bands. And so my co-host wanted to talk about early Genesis. So oh. I, uh, I spent a lot of time with early Genesis. But this week, uh, the album I've been, the new one is uh, Mitski uh, has an album called uh, Laurel Hell, which is really kind of blowing my mind. Okay, so like, what's your, what's your best, what's your best music? What's your best jams? Like, if you're like, what's going to be the prized vinyl record that you don't even play, you just frame it? Um, well, I've got a, a bunch of those. But I would say for me, um, the Beach Boys is uh, the kind of the entire run of the Beach Boys. I like it all. I like the early corny stuff. I like the very strange psychedelic stuff i like the the later sort of mental illness kind of thing i uh, i'm a big beach boys fan and i also like the you know the pet sounds and stuff like that so okay. um, yeah there's a lot a lot of things like that but i mean i'm, I'm also a huge uh, morrissey is a big and the smiths are a big big deal for me what about you well first of all i think in the book you referenced morrissey i don't know if it's on the book your website but i love when people ref <laughs> you referenced mozzie yeah i know and uh Tish, Tish, Her what's her name? Tish Harrison Warren. She referenced like Fugazi and that was cool. Mm -hmm. And I, not many people reference good music. I actually do love Morrissey. I'm a, I'm like a, I'm a burnout, like punk rock burnout. So I listen to the same music from the mid nineties from the East Bay. Like 
I can't, my wife calls me a freezer because I just mm-hmm. can't move on. Even last night, uh, I was laying in bed making my poor uh, eight-year-old daughter listen to like all these old bands. So, I'll, you know, I'll say some of them for any of the listeners who know, they'll give me street cred. It'd be Jawbreaker, Pinhead Gunpowder, which is the guy from Green Day, uh, Sweet Baby, Operation Ivy, and then Good Riddance, which is like a like a punk band from Santa Cruz. Anyways, hey man, no one ever asked me what I like. Thank you. I know some of those bands. I think Do you uh, really. Well, I, and I I've, I I grew up in the '90s, uh, probably as you did too. So we know. You know what's up, bro. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of '90s music recently, and I think it's uh, it's underrated. Oh, it's so good. I just love. Remember Frente? Frente, like they they had like two hits, and I'm gonna post it. Yeah. Oh, they were just so good. They're from like Australia. They only had two, but I'm kind of into like those one hit wonders that we liked in the nineties. Remember like you ever rediscover them? Like Natalie and Bruglia, that song torn. I don't remember if you, that That's one. So, I was listening to Natalie and Bruglia last week because I it's, love that song so much. <laughs> it's such a good song. It, it, and, and, and I mean, it's in, it's kind of inextricably linked with the video for me too, but that song is, it, I never turn, want to turn it off when it comes on, you know? Yeah, that video, she's just so cool. She's just standing there, so 90s, just in the glory of the, the glory, the glory era, to be sure. That is the golden era. Sorry, everyone else. <laughs> so, okay, cool. So we both know, so we both grew up in the 90s and um, I grew up under kind of a, a dark night of the soul Christianity, whereas you, I think it's your dad. So I think you grew up pretty, pretty stoked out. But um <clears throat> So you like took the time to co-write a book about the law and gospel. So, you know, I think I'm a big deal because I'm doing an episode on it, but you straight wrote a book about it. So I'm, I'm glad you're the guy we're chatting with. So we couldn't get CFW Walder. So I guess you'll be the second best. Um, I don't know so about that. Find some terms, brother. You want to know what the, the law? What is the... <clears throat> and then can you, as you did helpfully in the book, share your thoughts on the little L because you don't hear much about that, but yeah. Sure, the law is the, the divine uh, imperative. It is the thou shalt, thou shalt not. It is the shape that the sort of entire code of behavior and um, what, the, what the kind of, of holiness, you know, it's, it's what, what God intends, someone would, some would say, but it's really the, um, it's, it's the codified rule of, 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 of creation, even, you could say, uh, but I mean, for a, that's almost like uh, people always want to say that the law is um, simply the Ten Commandments, or it's simply the Torah, or something like that. And it, those things are, they contain the law, but the law is really, um, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it's, it's yeah. this... Um, do this, don't do that. Uh, be this, don't be that. It's always a command linked to a condition. Mm-hmm. So it, a con- the condition being, if you do this, you will live. It's an if-then proposition. Mm-hmm. If you do this, if you believe this, if you are this, then good things will happen, or mm-hmm. you you will be blessed, or you will inherit eternal life. I don't know what, there's all sorts of um, contingencies here. Yeah. But the law, I sort of see it as as the there's the content of the law, and then there's the sort of principle of the law, and both of these are, it's all written all over the Bible. So, yeah. to kind of punt back, we would say that we believe God speaks to to human beings, to his to his creatures, to his children in two words, 
The first is the law. The second is the gospel. Uh, the law, again, is a demand. The gospel is a promise. It's, a, um, it's hard to understand fully the law without understanding the gospel. Yeah. Um, but you can also understand sort of emotionally what the law is. Uh, it is um, anytime you feel threatened, <laughs> so that somebody's going to be taken away from you or given to you, that's because the law is at work. Uh, you are being told you um, need to do this and not that. So the question is really always, um, what is the purpose of the law? Why is, is, is God just telling us the law so that we know what to do now do it? You know, is that mm-hmm. what the purpose of the law is? Or is the purpose of the law first and foremost to kind of reveal to us who we are, to drive us to our knees mm-hmm. in repentance, and uh, mm-hmm. which is where faith, I think, is, is born. Yeah. There's a lot of confusion over the role of the law, uh, especially and how it relates to the Christian, how it relates to the non-Christian. Should I, I can keep going, Jason. No, no, uh, I I got so many things for you. I would, but I got like 28 questions lined up for you. Um, (laughs) But I will say, as you brought that up, and I think this might piss off a lot of people, but I think you are not a proponent of the so-called third use of the law, um, which I'm not. I get so mad about that. And I was like, okay. Yeah. And so like we actually listener, we know we, we have an article coming out. It's just like not even biblical. It's so bizarre to me. It's like a yeah. dead bride. Why are you going to go marry your, why are you going to go marry your dead bride? Like it's so bizarre. Why, once you have your degree, why are you going to go back to the tutor so you could study for your undergrad? It's just bizarre. Anyways. So um, I love that you also that definitely upset that, some like, people. Yep. Everything that Jesus says is not gospel. That's actually, that was hard for, it almost, sounds like wrong to even say that you know when it's not good news when he says hey you guys got to be better than the pharisees mm-hmm. i'm like oh crap that, uh-oh. um i i appreciate that i like that vision the good life as you as you call it but anyways okay so the law is not just uh it, it's not just a command as you say in the book but it's also a condition so and then you had just mentioned like the condition like do this um, sort of and, and you will live or, or whatever and you know things will just sort of be a little bit better as they should be um, you said quote at issue here is the way we relate to the law the question of whether we hear its accusation dead on or parry it when the law functions properly when it dismantles rather than provokes our optimism it kills the old man so can you speak to what you mean by like that optimism and you reference um, and, and how we know we're sort of actually reading the law, right? Yeah, well, optimism is a funny word. I think it uh, t- today it usually is. Um, I think we referenced some sort of, uh, I, I, if I recall correctly, we wrote this book a while ago, but it was, there's some sort of, um, I think like a study that had been done asking young people if they thought in their life they could sort of achieve their goals mm-hmm. and and that they would become happy healthy successful or whatnot and like in 1912 or something like 10 percent said yes that will happen and then in 1995 something like 85 percent said mm-hmm. that so that that is basically a more optimistic view not only of the world agreeing with you or being a place that where you can get along but of your own agency your own abilities your own virtue you, you know that you can uh, do what it is you set out to do without with 
barring any major disasters. Mm. And so um, that sort of optimism about the human spirit, what I would call sort of high anthropology, mm-hmm. is something the law, if, um, if, if you were going through life thinking that you kind of got it made or that you were, have something to offer that, that everyone really needs, you will experience the law as, a, as an assault. And it will be an assault. Yeah, it will yeah. be. Um, it'll be assault, even if you don't really believe that. It's always going to sort of reveal and accuse. You know, that's what the law does. Yeah. Um, but I think um, if you're optimistic, you're going. It's going to take a, a little bit longer, maybe, for you to get to to, to be um, to bring you to your knees. So yeah. the law has a way. If you hear it fully. It's, you know, the great, the great example in the New Testament is always the rich young ruler who says, you know, I've, Jesus, um, he says that he's fulfilled all of these commandments since he was young. What else do I need to do? And Jesus mm-hmm. says, okay, well, if, if you can really look at me in a straight face and say, you've done all these things, well, then that what remains is you got to sell all your things and give it to the poor. Yeah. And of course, that at that point, um, he, he had a false view. And there's no way that he had, he had fulfilled all right. the law. It's just, it's, it's, it, it, it betrays his own naivete or his own optimism. Mm-hmm. And so Christ is, the law is not done with him yet. Um, mm-hmm. So he, he brings this one thing that he knows will be impossible that will finally mm-hmm. uh, make this guy, mm-hmm. in this case, walk away sorrowful. But in our mm-hmm. case, I think, I think the, the, the law in a lot of ways is what, what uh, not just drives us to our knees, but makes us, oh, you know, our clutching hands, uh, it kills us. Um, and in practice, that often feels like you, you, you surrender, you, um, you, yeah. you're able to receive something. That's how Robert Capon always talks about it. It's like a mm-hmm. dead hand is, is open mm-hmm. rather than clutching. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, when you said it kills, like you could really, you like the law kills, like you could just hear that and just, you're like, Oh, that sounds like Bible language. Or, you, or if you're like the rich young ruler, it's like, Oh, what the heck, man, I need a I just need to jump through the rest of these hoops, which like you, you should, you should do literally everything. You should keep the law. But, but when, as you talk about humility is one of the main fruits of it, uh, of, you know, the gospel, you realize, oh man, I'm woe is me. Like who will save me from this body of death? And then there's kind of like a, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, I'm already, I'm already like, I'm screwed. So you're done trying to patch it up. And you're like, and the, I'm getting ahead, but, um, okay. You did. I don't know if you remember this one and I don't know if you who wrote it, but in the book, you guys have this pretty cool baseball analogy of a response to the law. And I'll try to probe your memory if you can remember it. And if you can't, that's fine. But you talk about fight, flight, or appeasement. And I don't know if the primer was like the baseball, it's like you're out in the third, you know, you're, you're a young person and you love baseball. You got all the posters and you're super stoked and you got all the, ba- and I think you got like a Don, Don Mattingly, like bobblehead back there or something. I see brother, some old school nineties <laughs> love anyways. So you, you got that. Um, Keith Hernandez. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, like, it's like, there's this kid who just wants to be good. His mom thinks he's going to be good. And then like, there's these different approaches of his coach saying like, uh, come on get your head in the game or whatever so anyways do you remember the fight flight or appeasement baseball analogy uh well my friend uh, my colleague ethan wrote that part but i do vaguely remember it i mean i know what we're talking about when we talk about fight flight or appeasement okay. it's, it's it's either when when you're told uh to do something um you you either either have the response of you uh 
run away or you try you try to you either try to do it which is to appease and you try to train really really hard to become the best baseball player you could, ever mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. or possibly you run in the opposite direction and say i hate sports i never want to sports mm-hmm. suck that is just like the dumbest thing i you know who and who to take that seriously or you um and that's flight and then fight is basically to say my coach is terrible and doesn't understand yeah. Yeah. uh what he's talking about and you sort of you, you you fight you, you you take issue with the actual content yeah um or the person you the lawgiver in this case so in any in either in any way you're um these are three common responses i think we took that from robert capen but mm-hmm. um is that my did i hit it on no bro you hit it perfect and it's just so good because as christians i think we kind of do like a bunch of variations of those things and one variation is it's almost a version of flight, which you guys talk in the book later on. You don't connect that, but I'm in my mind now. You're this sort of always thinking about the future. Well, like, well, I'm just going to get deep down in my studies. And then and then a little bit down the road, my life's going to get a little bit more together. My act's going to get cleaned up. By the way, there's this Martin Luther quote I happened upon. It was so good. And it was something like an anti, it was like an anti-Jonathan Edwards quote. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you didn't know him, but it was like, I, I promise to never promise God again that I'm going to clean up my act. I'm just going to like hope that he fi- he decides to grace me with that. I'm like, ah, oh, that is so refreshing rather than these 18 resolves where Jonathan Edwards is like, I'm going to be so awesome and never get annoyed at my mom. <laughs> I promise to promise. That's great. So, okay. Um, we're going to hit some gospel. When you speak of the gospel in the book, you guys early on emphasize and use this language of it coming from wholly outside of ourselves. And I think that's for me personally, that it's, that's was like sort of a linchpin or something. It's like, it, it doesn't sort of start from within you. It, the gospel comes from outside. So even people who hear this and don't know the distinction, they're like, yeah, that just sounds sort of right. But, but you nuance it. So why is it important that the gospel comes from outside of ourselves because if the gospel is yoked if it's um if it's uh connected to our um ability to understand it our ability to articulate it our ability to metabolize it um then it becomes again we we become we're in control of it we're uh we're the arbiters of our own salvation mm-hmm. and as we know that that's that way lies death that just is never yeah. gonna it turns us in on ourselves mm-hmm. the gospel is always um you know if, if the if the person is curved inward in their sin and the law is kind of constantly curving them inward like but it kills you and you sort of you have the moment where you where you look up or you're dead and you sort of your eyes are just opened and um you look beyond yourself you look maybe you look to the cross or you're finally you have this moment where you you stop looking at your own belly button or taking your own spiritual pulse or counting your own blessings i don't know what it is uh but you you might say well i've come to the end of my rope i'm i'm out of options if there's going to be any help for me it's got to come from outside and so i love it yeah we we talk about news from across the sea which i think is walker percy's phrase but Mm -hmm. um i consider the gospel to be an announcement that is not again it's not um it's independent of me. It's something objective. It's not subjective. Mm. It has enormous subjective uh, resonance and uh, uh, implication, but 
it's got to be something that is not dependent on my on me on my abilities so if for it to be good news because you know the the constant thing is like for the christian um, we talk about the gospel we use it as shorthand but then you articulate your faith and it doesn't actually sound like does it actually sound like good news to you does it does it really sound like pardon absolution remission of sins or does it sound like a whole new ladder to climb or a a new millstone around your neck and so You, you yes. can know if you if you leave a church service, you know, if you've heard the gospel, if you're feeling lighter, uh, if you're feeling heavier, then usually you've you've you've, you've heard some some law or the gospel was sort of uh, was 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 pulled back right at the end with some. some Ew, extra. And it, could be, yeah. it could be even gospel language is like, so therefore, let's go out and tell everyone we know the gospel or let's do uh. a gospel centered <laughs> life. And all this stuff is like, I understand the intention. And it's not like. It's not some terrible thing, but it, it also you walk it was like, wait a second, am I forgiven or not? Or like, what is the? Uh, is this uh, did, did I just get um, baited and switched? You know? Yeah. No, it's always like law, gospel, law, or you know, like someone, someone genius said, like it's the gospel. It's like, well, I guess that kind of sounds gospely. It's wrapped up, and and you know, you guys hit this a bunch through the book, but no, you're right, man. And you even say in the book, like sometimes like the the law is sound, sometimes it's even used as gospel. And there's, I don't know if you guys say this, but there is a notion of sometimes like when I, when I used to, you know, be part of churches like that, where it's just, they hit me with the law and I, and I actually left a little bit motivated, excited. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to, I'm going to clean up this town, right? Like I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to get it together now. And then I just, the second in the car, I'm just like, yeah, like, oh, my wife's so annoying right now. My kids are so loud. I'm hungry. Like, it's like, I can't even like get from point A to point B without just being a scumbag. And it's like, oh, never mind. I can't clean my act up. So anyways, um, what was the other one I had on that? Okay. How does one make, oh, I'll add this. You said navel gazing, brother. That is the that was the name of the game. My wife called me a dark night of the soul. I'm just always see. I don't. I, maybe you could tell us your own story too. I don't know if you grew up with that. Then I don't know how you are able to understand this the way you did. But like I grew up with this, and it was mis. I hated Christianity. Like I was like, well, where else can where else can I go? You have the words of life, but it, it wasn't really good news. It was just like it was, it was still just this disgusting ladder. So I don't know if you want to share a little bit of your own story. I'm curious, but also how does one make the gospel their own? Well, what, what, what I think you're referring to, or at least what I'm hearing is that um, we can, lots of forms of Christianity that emphasize the law, either implicitly or explicitly, it becomes a, you, you, you get turned in on yourself, as I said, navel gazing. You get um, directed inward, so that you're always asking. It's like that those you know those um you know those, uh, cell phone commercials. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you yeah. hear me now? Yeah. So you're 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 measuring. It's like a um life. It, it, the spiritual life conceived as like a Fitbit or like an Apple Watch, and so yeah. everything's quantified, and that creates, yeah. especially when you're when you're pointing a person inward who doesn't actually have the capability to do something like that, that's a, it's cruel. It's cruel. And um, at least if there's no gospel involved, it it is cruel to ask someone to do something that they are physically incapable of doing or or like 
morally incapable of actually doing. So, um, but you're driving, anytime you're dealing with measurement, you're dealing, you're in the realm of the law. Because mm-hmm. measurement is, is always a preface to judgment. Me- measurement only exists for the sake of judgment, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in terms of moral terms. Mm-hmm. So um, that, you know, for, for me, I, I did, I grew up with a, with a father who understood this distinction, but, you know, we all have to find uh, the, these things for out for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I was, um, I was exposed to a few forms of evangelicalism, most of which were pretty great. You know, they were sort of emotionally engaged mm. Jesus relationship with Jesus talk, which I think is generally, it can be a great thing for, for kids. Cause it's, especially when it's in we're talking about love, but um, as you get older and you realize relationships are full of contingencies and I call you, you call me kind of stuff yeah, and yeah. scorekeeping, they get much, if, 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 if there's, that's not uh, mitigated by some sense of God's one way love, then you get into a real, an inner game of tennis with, yeah, with, no. with God that you're going to lose and yeah. God just becomes the voice of not enough. Yeah. And so for me, that didn't happen, I, partly because I was spared certain more toxic elements of that culture, mm-hmm. partly because I was in the mainline the Protestant denominations, which were, would, were sort of were indifferent to certain things. Uh-huh. It didn't give you that much to be angry about. Um, but mainly I had, a, I had some parents, my father and my mother, they understood how this stuff works psychologically. You know, a lot of Christians have a hard time thinking about that. But mm-hmm. the law and the gospel, one of the reasons why, why it ha- carries such weight is not simply because it's biblical or uh it but it, because it's true i mean it's um it's uh it, it bears out in experience yeah. you know um if yes. you try to fulfill the law now whether that's the law of the uh, the bible uh and like i said it's not the law is not synonymous with the old testament or the new testament it's yeah. there in the bible yeah. If you try to fulfill that, you, it's going to kill you. Eventually, you're going to burn out. But today, yes. burnout is simply a secular phenomenon, too. I mean, that's there's there's all sorts of secular or little L laws, which mm-hmm. are you need to be perfect. You need to have it all, know it all, be it all and um, never doubt yourself and have a gazillion followers while you're at it. Yeah. You know, it's um, that's going to kill you, too. You know, don't talk yeah. to the talk to the people at the top. Um, mm. So these things are true, uh, like it's true that not an unceasing demand creates nervous breakdown, uh, misery, depression, estrangement. It's true that love in the midst of deserved judgment, which is the gospel belovedness that, uh, that in practice um, fosters uh, more love and patience and tolerance and, uh, grace and all the things that we hope for, humor, uh, humility, all the things we hope for in life. So this is not like when people, when theologians want to get into it and do proof texting and all that stuff, it's like, right. I don't, I almost, I don't care. Like it's, it's not, right. um, that sounds, uh, um, uh, patronizing perhaps or condescending, but it's, it's, it's so borne out in experience. Totally. I always feel like when I understood that this was at the heart of Christianity, I thought, oh, what a relief. <laughs> this is also at the yes. heart of my heart of my life. <laughs> you know? And that's what yeah. why sometimes I don't I, I don't understand why the church doesn't um, talk more about this. So they, they, they hedge it with so much talk of uh, transformation and uh, character growth. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, we're, and we're, I'm going to hit you with that, too. But yeah, I like sort of like grew up. You always hear gospel gospel at these churches. But like we were saying, you're you're hearing usually law, gospel, law, or the gospel, or some 
or just the co-mingling. And I remember I, so I sort of realized I was like, theologically in my mind, I was like, oh yes, um, the gospel. But I was sort of like functionally a, a Catholic or like functionally this notion that I, I had to jump through some serious hoops that I didn't think it was, it was finished. I'm like, nah, it's, it's actually just begun. Get on your, <laughs> get on your running shoes, Jason, you get to work. I think as R. Scott Clark says, um, evangel- evangelicals are always busy, busy, busy. And that's just it, man. Like we're always like trying to root our identity in our Christian activity. And it's, it's just exhausting. So, okay. In the book, you guys say, quote, the reality of God's grace is so radical that we often find ourselves trying to domesticate it unconsciously or not imposing all manner of fine print about what constitutes acceptance or rejection, end quote. And then you continue on saying very, very accurately, you say this, our tit for tat programming is so strong that it tends to hijack the beauty of grace and instead and instead position it conditionally, end quote. So like prone to wander indeed, like not even just on your ethics, but prone to wander on like the very gospel itself. And so um, why do almond, why do humans like, or let's just acknowledge together that humans have this like almost visceral, like not like disdain for the gospel, but we're like, it's, it's too amazing. It's amazing grace, but it's, it's too amazing. So we've got to domesticate it just a little bit l- lest we lest we fall into cheap grace. I'm not mm. sure if you could offer any commentary or just um, <laughs> woes on that. Yeah, I mean, it's a very uh, understandable, but also frustrating uh, critique. Um, people don't want you to be um, what they hear is a uh, an excuse for sin or um, licentiousness is that licenses the, is the biblical term mm. that when you say that people are forgiven that it really is finished that that uh, there's a, a new creation um, and that, that, that the law has been fulfilled um, we've been set free for freedom Christ to set you free when people hear that they think well 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 not 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 for anything you know not not totally you know yeah. like let's you know well hold on what kind of freedom are we talking about is it just completely theoretical freedom or are we actually talking about you know you can do whatever you want and yeah. the yeah. truth is sometimes when people do hear this message they do go a little nuts and they kind of mm-hmm. go crazy and they get in everyone's face and they don't seem to be very like gracious they seem to be just you know uh, really in other people's faces about how how, how bad and wrong their understanding is and that doesn't yeah. feel like the gospel mm-hmm. but um yeah, I think there's something very scary about the controls being taken away, mm. the, uh, that there is no, um, uh, you know, uh, bumpers on the, the lane, um, mm-hmm. and that we desperately want to reinstate some sense of uh, security. But um, come to find out, uh, most of those are become new ways of bringing the law back in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And if you can sort of stick with someone for while they're having their nervous breakdown and kind of exper- enjoying their forgiveness, as they say, mm. um, just watch, you know, what would it, what is it that you really want to do if you weren't, if, if you truly, if, if everything was permitted, you know, like wow. people think, oh, well, I'd want to just, you know, sex, drugs and rock and roll. And mm. like, well, well, let's think about that. If that wasn't like, if you actually felt good enough about yourself as you were, that mm. you were forgiven in your sin um mm. would you still want to um 
take advantage of everything under the sun. Like mm-hmm. uh, usually when, when we squeeze a net amount of sort of license or um, it's because there's the, the law has been um, is not high enough. Like you're not, you're not preaching it enough. Like mm-hmm. there's no, like you're still a sinner. Mm. Um, you're still set free. We still need to come back to this. The whole life of the believer is one of uh, repentance and absolution. Mm-hmm. I, I really believe that. Mm-hmm. It's not linear. It's circular. And yet yeah. at the same time, you do experience all sorts of victories over certain things. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. you might experience, uh, you know, recidivism in another area. Yeah. So it's, it's complicated. I think one of the things that people who talk about the distinction between the law and the gospel, and I count myself among this, is that we make understanding this distinction into a new law. I mean, that's like, a, I'm justified not by the blood of Christ. I'm justified by my understanding of what the blood of Christ did. And that's not the same thing. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's just indicating how you never really grow beyond your need wow. for the law and the gospel. You yeah, always need yeah. to be sort of your, your self-righteousness always needs to be Whoa. deconstructed. Your, your forgiveness, all you always don't believe it. You need to yeah. hear it again and again. And these are, it's a, it's a, the words of life, as you said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know like there's a lot of when people sort of become young, restless reform, you know, they become that sort of cage stage. And I was a part of a Facebook group where people became aware of the law gospel distinction. And it was a weird like law gospel cage stage where it was like, anytime I just had a question on general, like, well, what about, you know, this command, you know, like, it's good. This, I, I want to, you know, there are, there are, you know, <laughs> you since doing? these things are true, you know, go and don't be a jerk. It's like, and they're, Oh, Oh, you're, it's finished. It's like, well, but really like, can we just talk about the, the Bible, you know, still does call us to like, you know, not be jerks and scumbags. So anyways, um, you said, okay, I'm going to hit you with a quote that was so good. And then I thought I'll, I'll do like a devil's ad or not a devil's advocate, but like probably what my mom would say. Right. So here's the quote where this is a good one. Wherever you are most tired, look closely and you'll likely find self-justification which is so true. Like, that's how it was for me. Like, I felt like I got to get up. Oh, I better do my quiet time. Better crack open the Bible. And then like, when I'm done, I sort of feel better about myself because I read the Bible. But um, it might have been, you know, burdensome. But okay, here's, here's what maybe some folks might say. But aren't, not just to that quote, but this whole thing. But aren't we to like work out our own salvation to put to death the deeds of the flesh the hard work of running the marathon, you know, and in, and engage in the laborious battle of sanctification. Yeah. I mean, isn't that the work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling, but then isn't the second part of the verse, like for it is God who works within you to like <laughs> bring all things. I mean, it's, it's all like, it's all couched in, um, yeah. you know, not your agency. Uh, mm. you know, I think we certainly experience things that way. I mean, it, it's, it's like, I'm, yeah. um, that sometimes there are better things to do in other, you know, than, than other things. But mm. uh, yeah, I don't know. I think if Christianity feels like one long bit of striving, then you're going to give up eventually, whether or not you hear the law of gospel distinction. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's just um, the, the whole point is to, is a tra- it, 
the gospel transforms a person's heart so that they're not even asking like this is what i should do they're thinking it's when should and want sort of meet and you say like you know I, I, this is so exciting to me it's all i want to talk about and i actually think it is good such good news that i want to tell my neighbor not because someone at church told me that i'm bad if i don't but because like i think it's that good and i think it was oh, I it's that. been that wonderful for me so, so um good. and i i've just noticed you know i'm not been at this 20 years now and i know that the people who were sort of uh have a more progressive sanctification kind of view of things or um don't really didn't really buy this distinction when when it was being talked about Mm -hmm. and maybe they were put off by the aggressiveness and the sort of general meanness that with which some people embrace it but they uh if 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 you don't get this um this isn't if you're not able to take this on board you'll sort of burn out on all that stuff Mm -hmm. uh you you Mm -hmm. will the joy will get sucked out of your christian faith you will start Mm -hmm. to hate other people because they're not not reading their bible enough they're not trying hard enough they're not giving enough to church you'll start to hate them and then you will really truly start to hate god oh my gosh bro you're you're like striking a nerve it makes me think of my wife like i felt like I never would have said this, but looking back, I felt like I was reading so many books and I just, I don't know. I felt like it was increasing my, my bank account with God, if you will, sort of, it was improving upon my salvation or keeping it safe or something. You know, it was just like operating in law, but, um, the weird part was I always, even though I wasn't excited about the gospel, because it just seemed like she like bad news, but I just didn't want to go to hell. So still, I was like, okay, I got to be about this. And my poor freaking wife, man, I would just try to get her to read books. <laughs> she said, I don't care. I'm, I'm too busy. I have to, I have to like feed the kids and take them to hula practice. And, and we got to like pick them up from school. She said, I don't care about all these random books. And once I realized she's clothed with Christ, just like I am even if I'm reading many leather bound books and she's like listening to the beach boys, like she's fully clothed with Christ and she's good to go. But just, and that's a response to what you said. It like that freed me. I'm like, Oh, cool. I don't have to like make my, (laughs) make my poor wife, like um, work for her salvation. So anyways, what you say there is, is something I actually experienced. And I never framed that thought until you said it. So that's why I got too amped and cut you off. I'm sorry. No, I feel um, your wife. <laughs> so let's talk about the the diabolical, and you kind of hit just the this diabolical pseudo doctrine of progressive sanctification, which I just took for like gospel truth my entire life. Oh yeah. my gosh. And you know, that they might the pastors might say, you know what? You're uh, you don't gotta be getting much better every day. You know, you're not going to just wake up tomorrow better, but you know what? You just survey your life the last year and you probably got just a little incremental better. You know, you probably don't, you're probably not as scummy, but I'm like, what? I'm, I am struggling with the same crap. I've been struggling for 15 years. I still have a disagreeable personality. I still think I know it all and I am not progressively getting better. Um, yeah, I would love if you, if you sort of hit that and then weave in this notion of, I guess, humility as, as a fruit. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, what, what sometimes people hear when we talk about the law and the gospel, they think, are you telling me that there's no hope that anything will ever get better? And I said, no, that is not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that that's God's business, not yours. And I say that I have seen, you know, the dead live. I've seen, uh, you know, 
marriages that were broken come back together. I've seen forgiveness happen. I've seen miraculous things happen through the grace and love and power of God and the Holy Spirit. But the way that we do what the, what the way that it's often used in a kind of a culture of self-improvement um, and optimization is that we think that the, that the gospel is sort of this means to gradually me becoming a better person. And um, I, there are some ways in which you might get better. There are some ways in which you might get worse, but that doesn't change the efficacy, the, the, the truth of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a lot of ways, the, the pathway of the saints is, um, and just you know, using that term generically, is um, downward. You become more aware of how much you need God. You become, you become smaller. You become, uh, you know, you're the Mother Teresa, not thinking like, as you get older, the fir- you can't run in the same way. You, you, um, uh, and because all the way, all the, the whole point is that, you know, as you get older, ultimately, whatever graph, as far as you, it's going up in, you know, terms of your goodness, like eventually you're going to die. And so it's going to end it like it's going to you're going to decline eventually or you're going to have some sort of sickness that will make it so that you can't control uh, mm. your efforts. Mm. And um, does the gospel still ring true then? Mm. And if it does, it's got to be something that I think is outside of you. It's got to be good news. It's got to yeah. not. Um, so I think the gospel can the, the grace of God. It really, God himself can produce all manner of transformation, and sanctification. But it's not necessary. It doesn't have to happen. If it does happen, that's awesome. If it doesn't happen, yeah. maybe that makes you more dependent on God, and that's awesome in that way. Mm-hmm. It's. Um, but what you happen when you when you yoke it, when you become, you think like you're only a Christian if you're getting better in every day in every way. You just um, a it turns you in again to measuring yourself constantly. It takes your eyes off of God. It puts mm-hmm. it back on yourself, on your own actions, your own feet, mm-hmm. your own hands, and away from that of your neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. And it uh, produces despair because mm-hmm. you have to either hide, you have to sort of say, well, this stuff that I was doing, like, let's just ignore that, you know, mm-hmm. um, or, or lie to yourself. It's like, well, that wasn't really what it was. Mm-hmm. It was, I was, I was doing that because I, because I love you, you know, mm-hmm. it's, um, it, it produces dysfunction and sin and d- terrible things. So mm-hmm. I want to say that I, um, empathize and sympathize with the desire for there to be sanctification, mm-hmm. progressive sanctification, yeah. or just because we, I don't believe in progressive sanctification, mm-hmm. that the, the path of the Christian is always steadily upward. doesn't mean that we don't believe in sanctification mm-hmm. or that God's power isn't at work in the world, mm-hmm. but you will never get to the point. No one will ever get to the point where they need God any less. Mm-hmm. And that's actually good news. It, puts, yeah. it, 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 it that doesn't that, that, that theoretically at least it frees you from judging the, the hell out of everyone else, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah. where yeah. are they ahead of me or behind me? You know, like what, wh- yeah. where do I stand? Totally. That's, that's crazy making. Um. <laughs> You're right, man. Everyone's more stoked when you operate in the good news. My wife is more stoked. I'm more stoked. No, um, there's this Julie, there's this lady named Julie Canlis, and she says something really helpful. She says, the role of the Holy Spirit is, is to usher you into adoption. Like that's, that's kind of what she says, sanctification for what's already true about you. You're sort of, you're already adopted. So like to further usher you into that, I think that's helpful. I like that. Another thing you said, which um, I know you know about, and 
it's this sort of theological category that listeners could just hear it and wrestle with it. But it's this, uh, I think it was Luther's, but this notion of this, that we humans, Christians have sort of maybe two kinds of righteousness, this in the sense of where you're righteous before God, because you're clothed with his son, and you are, you belong to him, and he's pleased with you because he was pleased with the son. And then, but we're not necessarily righteous before, you know, our wives and our neighbors and and the people who cut us off, we're still like kind of a scumbag. And you're like, that guy sucks. Aren't you supposed to be some Christian? I always hate you're, that you're one. You're talking I'm about like... the distinction between passive righteousness and active righteousness, I think. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I, I often, I love that distinction. I also think that the active righteousness distinction just often really just does sound like it, it's hard to not internalize that as passive righteousness too. You know, it's like... Mm. Um, Mm. One of the great things that that I think that maybe is a slight distinction that we that our book adds is that the law is really not about the content so much as how it's received. So um, and Luther talked about this. St. Paul talked about the law oftentimes as this sort of like principle and this not mm. this, a way of understanding the world and the gospel. It's, it's, it's not just these specific if thens it's sort of if then in general mm. um so i think that we um yeah I, I i don't really even know what i what i was trying to say about that but i, I think that we um we can domesticate the gospel by turning it back into the law in all sorts of subtle and indirect mm-hmm. ways totally um, you can kind of tell you can tell how is how does it feel what when someone Again, the reception, it's like, um, I'm, I, for some, something about you doesn't, you're, you're yelling at me that I'm forgiven. Like something about this doesn't actually feel like forgiveness, you know, it's, or right. uh, yes. you're telling yes. me like um, in the sweetest way possible that mm. God loves me so much. He wants me to be like this. And I'm thinking like, sounds nice, but wait a second. Why am I over time? Am I getting so anxious? Um <laughs> And uh, so the law is like, again, you can know that you're hearing the law if, if by how it, how you receive it. Um, mm. And this is one of the great yeah. things. You can receive an imperative as uh, as grace, as gospel. Mm. Um, meaning like, I, sometimes I think this is the case with the, one of the things we misunderstand about the prosperity gospel, by the way. Mm. I think, and I'm people might get mad at me about this, but like, if you really go to most prosperity gospel churches, because I have a, an aunt who's very involved in one, um, you don't actually see a bunch of people who are super anxious about proving, you know, I'm good and God's going to reward me. What they have actually heard is that God loves me enough that I don't have to, I'm not stuck where I am, that God cares about me and that there's, they are hearing some kind of gospel, some sort of grace in the message that if you, if you obey more, you're going to get, you know, a nice car. Like that's ridiculous. But if you go to those people, it's like uh, what these are people who've been told they, they can't have anything, you know? And so to be told that there's a possibility they might, that, that they're there, that God loves them in this way, that they experience that as gospel. The same thing is true. If, um, you know, I, I, uh, you can also receive a declarative uh, as a judgment. You know, I can tell you, mm-hmm. I love the dress you're wearing. And uh, you, you might say, oh, that's so nice. But you also might say, 
well, did you not like the dress I was wearing yesterday? You know, it's like, right, right. You hear these things and it's different how it's received. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, mm-hmm. I and, yeah. and that, by the way, people hate when I, when I say, express any sympathy for the prosperity gospel. I've just noticed that it's, if it were a bunch of neurotic East Coast sort of striving people thinking like God will love me if I, it, by my holiness, and they're, and they're in there like being legalistic, that's one thing. But if you actually go to those churches, it's a bunch of usually very lower income people who've never had any hope of anything ever getting better. And what they're hearing is that God is actually alive and active in the world and cares about you. You know, that's, and that to mm-hmm. me is kind mm-hmm. of the gospel. I don't know. No, no. So, okay. I, I, I love this, this topic. I'm winding down with time with you. So I'm going to hit you with three more. Um, we just got like five minutes left. So, um, you, this quote you guys said, I just felt like it was a good sort of diagnosis or observation. You guys observe that the church has quote, a fixation on habit formation, linear progress, moral effort, spiritual empowerment, and feeling quote, quote, close to God. And man, we said that good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys are spot on. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunately it's just, it's more true than I realized when I was whatever 31 writing that. Yeah. That is the, like, that is like the supposed tell us of Christian life. And it's, and it's, it's, it's like the, the, it's like a living, it's like a living hell. Like, and then later on, like later on in the book, you guys say like, anytime you hear a preacher say something like, you know, and, and you, y'all should be, and if you're a Christian, then this will be happening, you know, and then the, the young white-eyed Christian who is like childlike is going to say, wait, well, I'm not that, so I must not be a Christian, and it's, that's when we have sort of a co-mingling of the law and gospel, so I'm actually not even going to ask the question, because that, that quote was just good. (laughs) Keep it going, Um, yeah, what else? Um, Okay, so uh, I and I rec I commend this part this part of the book especially for this little um, the the appendix of the book is like seven it's so awesome it's called distinguishing between law and gospel you guys lay out seven real simple identifiers that like sort of show if your pastor which they're probably like they're all like good intention you know or even if you are sort of operating in a, like a co mingling of law and gospel and they're just like super short and they're just like. Even to just read them sounds like good news. Cause you're like, oh yeah. Cause it's like, if you told me like, like say I'm sick and I don't know what's wrong with me. And then the second you go, oh man, it's because you have um, an old bean stuck in your ear and, it, and it's sprouted. And even though it sucks, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Now I know how to take care of that. I got to get that bean out. I knew mm-hmm. I was sick, but I didn't know. So even just when you identify, you know, it's not even ragging on these pastors. You're just like, oh yeah, that, that is what. I've been subjugated to. So this one, <laughs> this one's pretty cool right here. Where is it at? Um, uh, uh, perhaps the, uh, oh yeah, you say, so perhaps the most telling is the first one when you guys say this, listen for a distortion of the commandment. Anytime a hard commandment is softened, like such as be perfect, like Jesus said, Matthew 5, 48. If it's softened to something like, just do your best. We're looking to the law, not the gospel. And man, that is, that is a good one. I've read a lot of law and gospel, but that's a good example when it gets softened. And then it's sort of like, and then for, and then all of a sudden somehow it like, 
Yeah, that's that's a good one. So I don't mm. you you want to say anything to that or just an no, amen? I think or... it's hundred percent true. There's a you, we're trying to lower the bar, uh, but we're we're not doing anyone any favors when you lower the bar uh, <laughs> because it it actually it actually gives them the illusion that it's possible to. Fulfill. No, I love it. And then on antinomianism, you guys a section you just say like, nah, man, we just double down on law. He's he's like, come and die, like be perfect, like you you're not even trying to down. If anything. A good distinction says, no, nah, man, you got to like, this is, this is what is required of you. Okay. Yeah. Last question. And this is, this one's kind of insane. You didn't hit on your book. It's my own personal, you probably don't even have anything for it. I don't know, but I'm just going to hit you with it anyways. This is like pretty analytical. Like it's, it is a bit of navel gazing. So I'm like, okay, I don't have to wake up in the morning and read my Bible. I don't have to do that. I don't have to like have spiritual conversations in order to please God, right? Because, well, I'm not sure actually where you landed on this, but I believe in this act of obedience of Christ that like God is pleased with me because of, um, because of Christ. Like what, what is his is mine because it's no longer I live, but Christ in me. So I'm going to just so, call that like the, so I made up these terms. I'm not a theologian, right? So I'm calling that the forensic pleasure of God on me. He's like, I'm pleased with you because in the courtroom, like you're good, you're good to go. You, because I'm seeing Jesus, but now I often wonder, and I'm going to call this next category. And this is where I have the question of the, the, so you have the objective reality of the forensic pleasure, but there's this sort of one that I'm calling like the sub subjective fatherly pleasure. And so like, this is one where like the cage stagers, of law and gospel get mad at me when I bring it up. But the fact is there are passages in the new Testament that talk about Christians could indeed further please or displease God by their mm. actions. Like though there's like at least seven of those. And so I, that kind of bones me out because I used to just be able to wake up and be like, I, I am the Lord's son with whom he's well pleased. I don't have to do anything to impress him or please him. But now I'm kind of like, oh, actually, apparently there is. There are some things that actually could, in fact, grieve him. Mm. So I'm not sure if you've ever thought about that. If you've thought about it, then that's cool. If not, then well, whatever. I don't think that the law and the gospel invalidates a relationship with the living God. It's it, it's the, 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 the liability of the law gospel distinction, as far as I can see after you know 15 years of talking about it, is that it can become a head trip. It can become a formula that people think... Um, <laughs> that they understand once and they've justified themselves according to it. And I do the same thing. So I think that there's still an element in which we pray and we talk to God and we, we know that God cares about the world and about our neighbors. And it's not, we can hold these things. I would never use the word intention, but I, I, I do. Um, I, I don't want to, I mean, the, the real question is always, well, what motivates that, that kind of non-grieving behavior? And it's yeah, always yeah. some form of grace. It's like, yeah. if it becomes fear and shame that's motivating you, mm. which is as a result of the law, then it's, you're invalidated because you, you are going to therefore not be pleasing. You know, I, I think that God wants us to do the right thing for the right reasons, which is to love because we out of love. Um, and but how do you ever get someone to love you? Is it does it ever happen by just me coming and pulling you by the lapels and saying you've got to love me? Like that just is not true. So this is where I think the life of the believers. You know, go you go to church, you hear the gospel afresh, you can have you confess what's really going on in your life. You 
you you you believe that the Holy Spirit is active in the world and doing things that are bigger and better than you could possibly imagine, and that may not look like your plan for your life. I mean, so there are all sorts of ways in which um, the, the there's an open-endedness to this that I think is uh, uncomfortable sometimes uh, because uh, it's not the while I believe that if you don't understand this law gospel distinction, it it, it has major repercussions if you just want to listen to that uh, rise and fall of mars hill podcast if you want to know what it looks like when the law and the gospel get confused or get they get they get co-mingled but um it's not a uh it if it produces apathy um that doesn't mean god is withdrawing his pleasure but i do think that um the goal of ministry is to sort of engage with the human heart where it actually is and hope that there's a uh, openings for fresh, uh, you know, all these sort of new wine, new wine skins constantly. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to, I'm kind of giving you a non-answer to your question um, because, uh, but I, I, I hope that there's some freedom in uh, not having to completely figure that out. Yeah. I, brother, good job i've i've asked that to like some pretty like intense did i get it right did i get it right did i get it well right? they don't even like acknowledge it i'm glad you're like yeah that's something like that is kind of there something but they're like no 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 whatever so we've been talking with uh the boss david zoll the book is law and gospel a theology for sinners and saints from mockingbird ministries which is basically the ministry that we want to be that they already are so um Thanks for chatting. Thanks for chatting 90s music and stuff. And and then um, Jesus wasn't joking when he said it is finished. So we're stoked on that. Hit me with some. What do you got here? Is that Axel? That's Axel Rose talking 90s music right there. That is the use your illusion. Axel Rose. <laughs> so talking that, that's that's you can take us out. For the listener, I'm going to post the screenshot of that. Brother, thank you for your time for joining us on the 100th episode. Thank you so much. We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad. We came to cheer the sad. We came to leave.